Hello, my friends, and welcome to another moment. Yes, it's another Black History Moment with Bo. And I am here today to tell you some things that I hope you will enjoy. But before we slip into darkness, let me tell you something. I ran across an article the other day, and I am dying to share it with you. And it was called Ancestral Mathematics. And what Ancestral Mathematics says, in order to be born, you needed two parents, four grandparents, eight great-grandparents, 16 second-great-grandparents, 32 third-great-grandparents, 64 fourth-great-grandparents, 128 fifth-great-grandparents, 256 six-great-grandparents, 512 seventh-great-grandparents, 1,024 eighth-great-grandparents, and 2,048 ninth-great-grandparents. For you to be born today from 12 previous generations, you needed a total of 4,094 ancestors over the last 400 years. Think for a moment, please. How many struggles? How many battles? How many difficulties? How much sadness? How much happiness? How many love stories? How many expressions of hope for the future did your ancestors have to undergo for you to exist in this present moment? As we slip into darkness, let's not forget it took 4,000 of your ancestors for you to be sitting here listening to me right now. Federal authorities finally have agreed to honor what a recently formed watchdog group had been demanding ever since a major historic find literally was unearthed when construction began on a federal construction project in Lower Manhattan. At least for now, there is a promise that a concerted effort would be made to ensure that none of the close to 200 grave sites so far uncovered during the excavation for the building's foundation would be destroyed by construction crews. But that is not nearly enough, for these are sacred bones. And after more than two centuries, it's time that they get the respect they deserve. Much of what we know today as the City Hall area and the financial district in the 1700s was the only place black people could bury their dead. It is said that as many as 20,000 people of African descent may be buried in the area, too many of them the victims of enslavement, lynching, torture, and the abject poverty that eventually consumed them. The courthouse, the city administration buildings, banking and investment firms, the so-called heartbeat of New York, they now cover the precious bones of a people who could tell America a thing or two about equal opportunity and the freedom and the pursuit of happiness. Early in the 1600s, 
20 or more African indentures were brought to the Dutch colony called New Amsterdam. They were settled in an area in New York City around Chatham Square, now Chinatown. What is now Greenwich Village was a swamp, difficult to drain, so the blacks were given this land as their first farms and an extension of their homes in lower Manhattan. The arrival of other immigrant groups impringed on the territory of those indentured Africans who were later moved to an area that is now around 29th Street and 30th Street. This community was torn down to build the post office and the Pennsylvania Station. This is the first urban renewal and black removal project on record. On the eve of the Civil War, many Irish and other immigrants were being drafted. When these men noted that black men were not being drafted, they resented this fact, assuming that they would go to war and leave their women at the mercy of these black men. Here we go again. This was part of what started the New York riots of that day. It is always about their women, is it not? The troubled beginnings of blacks on their way to Harlem had started. At this time, the area of the city that would much later become the world's most famous ethnic community was partially Dutch farm and partially a middle-class Dutch residential area. More pressure from immigrant groups seeking space, mostly Irish, pushed the black population to the area of 59th Street on the west side, what is now 8th and 9th Avenue. Many black soldiers coming back from the Spanish-American War settled in this area rather than returning to the south. They had to fight these immigrant groups in order to hold on to the space. This is part of the folklore of New York City explaining that this is why this part of New York was later called Hell's Kitchen. In the closing years of the 19th century, blacks began to be hired entertainers with some Broadway shows and in vaudeville in general. Early in the 20th century, real estate developers had overbuilt the community of Harlem in that they had more apartments available in the community than apartment seekers. The realtors began to rent some apartments to blacks on 133rd Street, and gradually they began to expand into other areas. Several black real estate firms were established and became rich finding apartments for blacks in this community, originally built for middle-class whites. Some of the better-paid black entertainers, musicians, and more regularly employed craftsmen and caterers began to buy houses in an exclusive area of Harlem. 139th Street and 138th Street. They bought these homes for exaggerated prices for that day and had to strive consistently to keep up the payments. But you know, they did keep up the payments and made this section of Harlem a special kind of middle-class community called Strivers Row. And even today, it is one of the better-kept areas of Harlem. 
still with a large number of beautifully designed townhouses and quiet and well-kept streets in most cases. The next middle-class community was further uptown on Edgecombe Avenue. It is still referred to as Sugar Hill. Before the emergence of the late Adam Clayton Powell Jr., the two most outstanding Harlem politicians were Charles Anderson and Ferdinand Morton. They were as colorful as Adam Powell in a different way. The period from 1920 to 1930 is called the era of the Harlem Literary Renaissance. It was a renaissance in the true sense only if you stretch the dictionary definition of the word. To some extent, it was a fad, partially created in Harlem, partially imposed on Harlem. Many of the writers of this period, such as Langston Hughes, Claude McKay, W.E.B. DuBose, and James Weldon Johnson, would have written just as well had there been no period called the Harlem Renaissance. A lot of black residents of the community lived and died during this period without ever hearing the word or knowing its meaning. From the beginning of his active public career after the Harlem riots of 1935 until his death in 1972, the political life of the Harlem community can be written to a great extent around the life and activity of Adam Powell. His influence in the church and in community activities during this period were so persuasive that a great deal of radical political history of the community can be written around the fact that he and the church that he pastored had a lasting influence on Harlem in transition and may shape the Harlem still to be. Harlem is now a community under siege. Because of the urban renewal, gentrification, and other designs to push the poor out of Manhattan Island, it will be difficult in the future for blacks to hold on to this valuable piece of real estate called Harlem. Before the battle on this issue is joined, it might be in order to mention that Harlem has been the proving ground and the window on the world for all the major movements existing in Black America. Harlem has been called the cultural capital of Black America, and yet it is still under siege, the same as all Black communities in America. Whether it can be saved will depend on the collective efforts of African people in the United States and not only those who live in Harlem. In the years before the Montgomery bus boycott and the rise of the Southern freedom movements that initiated the prevailing phase of history known as the Negro Revolution, Harlem was the nerve center of advancing black America. Harlem is more than a community. It is a city within a city, the foremost ethnic city in the world. Among black communities in the United States, Harlem is unique. It is the only large community of this nation that is not on the other side of town.
Harlem is located in the heart of Manhattan Island. It is probably the most written about and the least understood community in the world. In many ways, it is more than a community. It is a frame of mind with international implications. It is the headquarters of cults, self-proclaimed kings, and pretenders. It is the intellectual and spiritual home of the African people in the Western world. Some of the most important men and movements in America's black urban ghettos have developed in Harlem. In the spread of lynchings, the lack of job opportunities, and the lure of two world wars started a vast migration from the South. Harlem was the most desirable community for the new settlers looking for a better way of life for themselves and their children. Some failed to improve their conditions, yet refused out of pride to return to the South. Others rejected the South out of preference, saying that they would rather be a lamppost in Harlem than the mayor of the biggest city in the South, or I left nothing in the South but my chinches. In spite of these attitudes, much of what they knew in the South and sometimes treasured was transferred to the northern ghettos, such as the storefront church and restaurant specializing in soul food long before the term became popular. So there you have it, my friends. Harlem, USA, the mecca of black American life in the Western world. And we must do whatever we can to hold on to it. Because like I said before, it's in the middle of Manhattan. It is prime land that whiteness would love to have. And for one moment, do not think that they are not trying to get. I could give you information on Harlem all day long and you would love it. Some of our greatest entertainers and sports figures came out of Harlem and are still coming out of Harlem. Whiteness calls it a cancer, but blackness calls it home. That music tells me it is once again that time, friends. But before I go, you know I got a message for you. And that message is one of the first things I think young people, especially nowadays, should learn is how to see for yourself and listen for yourself and think for yourself, then you can come to an intelligent decision for yourself. Malcolm X. Until next time, it's been my honor. <laughs>